January 13, 1916, World War I. The assassination of Archduke Ferdinand led to a global war resulting in the fatal wounds and deaths of more than 40 million people. In a war fought on brutal lands, close-range warfare, bombs dropped by hand out of makeshift planes, the greatest fear on the battlefield was often invisible. Trichloromethane, chloroformate, diphos gene. Silently floating through the air with the winds over the field of dead soldiers was a silent and lethal assassin. Mustard gas had no allies. It targeted no one. It simply followed itself to get carried by the wind. First, blisters would form on the soldier's body. Within 24 hours, these lesions would fill with toxic reactions, often causing severe damage to the eyes as third-degree burns began to form. It was becoming a war with no rules, no honor, and for the first of its kind to expose just how necessary covert operations needed to be introduced. No more could positions be announced. No more could intentions be stated. No more could noble fighting be relied on. It was kill or be killed. It was now about stealth. It was about strategy. And it was about counterintelligence. On the precipice of the modern age of war, World War I stood at the doorway to be an unrecoverable manner of warfare that would even lead to the present day. Because technology would soon turn the tides of war, who has the most technology rules the world. Stealth is now king. The loud entrances of armies past, with the war drums and the pomp and the circumstance, had all given away to a shadowy, enigmatic game of covert and clandestine warfare. I often laugh at those, um, you know, you see the movies and the book depictions of how wars used to be fought, even moving towards the Civil War. You know, could you imagine just being on the front lines, sitting there looking at the other group coming at you and you're ready to fire and you know your your sergeant major says hold your fire it's not your turn what it's a new ball game and it all started in world war one you see the tide would turn forever in the year 1917 this is a year that the sleeping giant was awoken the most dominant nation in world history would now enter the war. Like an ancient dragon entering the Sumerian battle of men, shields and swords, this giant was unmatched, unafraid, and virtually all-powerful in all means of war. And everything was about to change forever. 
April 4th, 1917. President Woodrow Wilson went before a joint session of Congress. That very day, the U.S. Senate voted to take its dragon to the battlefield. The United States thundered its iron war machine directly at Germany. Battles are won by slaughter and maneuver. The greater the general, the more he contributes in maneuver, the less he demands in slaughter. Winston Churchill A new kind of war was needed, and a new weapon was introduced with an old familiarity. It moved undetected through the air. Though not engendered by directions of the wind, this invisible weapon of war would forever alter how battles would be fought. Stealth was here. Shortwave radio was now a game changer. Ranging high frequency from 30 to 30 megahertz above the medium band to the bottom of the VHF band. These waves can be refracted from a layer of electrically charged atoms in the atmosphere called the ionosphere. The sky wave propagation allows the signal to be transmitted over vast distances. It changed the game of espionage. And it wasn't long before Morse code gave way to much more sophisticated and, well, quite honestly, creepy-ass transmissions right out of an apocalyptic horror movie. Things started to get incredibly complex. These radio signals would come in all sorts of enigmatic variations to keep the enemy constantly confused as to how to decode them. The truth is, they were literally impossible to decode. The algorithms and mathematical decoding systems were constantly changing, sometimes even changing over the course of the two-minute broadcast. Before I tell you what they sounded like, let's talk about how they worked. This is where one-time pads come in. This one-time pad was the only mathematically unbreakable encryption system and it's usually a sheet, or let's picture a pad of paper, okay? So, I have a pad of paper because I am sending out the signal, and you have an identical pad of paper, and you're out in the field receiving the signal. I broadcast this coded message over the radio waves, and when it comes to you, your top sheet of that pad directly corresponds, and it's the only sheet of code in that pad that corresponds to the exact signal I have just sent out. You decode that signal with that top sheet on your pad of paper. You tear off that top sheet, and I tear off my top sheet. It will never be used again. It will be burned. The next frequency, the next coded signal that I send out when it comes to you will now be on your second sheet, and you will tear that out as will I. And that is how it was unbreakable. Typically, 
The letters of the message are converted into numbers, it's really boring, and are added to other numbers from the notepad using a simple mathematical operation known as false addition. The result is then transmitted. The recipient uses the same page from his own one-time pad and extracts the plain message by applying false subtraction to the encrypted message. The procedure is simple, yet highly effective. The message can only be decoded by a third party if they get access to the recipient's one-time pads. This is sometimes possible for counterintelligence, either using double agents or by arresting the recipient, most likely while he is receiving the signal. A number of events in the 20th century have proven that intelligence agencies do, in fact, still use these signals. Now, I know what you're all waiting for. I've listened to too many episodes on number stations where they fail to give me what I want, and that's to actually freaking hear them. So, I will give you an example of one of the oldest numbers signals. Check it out. Just picture yourself all alone out in the battlefield, holed up in an abandoned warehouse. In the middle of nowhere, you check your pocket watch for the exact time. When it arrives, you open your small leather box the size of a briefcase. Built into the lid with it open is a shortwave radio. You turn it on to the specific frequency for that time that only you and your handler know about. The exact right time, the exact right frequency. Within the main compartment of your briefcase, you have a few various decoding sheets, one time pad. You choose the correct one per the anointed operation. You carefully decode the signal, revealing your precise commands for your next move. Now, sometimes these would include enemy informants' names. Oftentimes, they would include the enemy's positions or the counter moves or the striking commands that you were about to take an offensive on. They were, by all means, unbreakable. If they were only used once, and they actually helped change entire wars. Now, these number stations are most associated with the Cold War and, of course, Russia. Although they were used all over the globe by really virtually every major country. These strange signals even made it into one of my favorite movies as a kid. You know it, Red Dawn. I remember being completely freaked out by the parachutes coming down while the kids were innocently in class in high school. I can still see it. Well, that's because I watch the movie all the time still, but you know. And, and I'll never forget this encrypted shortwave signal that they used in that movie. 
It's 11.59 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. I can actually still quote that from time to time, and people who know that are around me, they know. Sadly, I can quote that entire movie, so what's it matter? Signals during World War II and into the Cold War kept getting more and more complex, often having songs, notes, even nursery rhymes as trigger sequences mixed with random words and numbers spoken live or often recorded on a loop. Like nightmare fuel for the soul, some of these signals even had the codes read by children, like a dystopian hellscape for the ears. Kitty, 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 kitty. While yet others added well-known nursery rhymes to further add to the layers of coding and to our personal night terrors. Imagine roaming around on the dial of your ham radio in 1957 and landing on that aberration of horror movie magic. I'll never forget when I was was about 12 years old, a friend down the street had an older brother who was a ham radio geek. Now, you can picture me back in my Stranger Things days of the 80s, literally how I grew up. He told me, Now, this was before anyone had internet at home. He told me that we could, his older brother said, we could dial in London and talk to someone and at least hear someone, I think he said. And I didn't believe him because this was like, you know, 1986. And so we went up to his room, me and his brother and his older brother, and turned on this crazy thing and I heard all this static and then he did it. I... To this day, distinctly remember hearing Big Ben doing his thing in the background of whatever channel they picked up on. I was absolutely fascinated and quite honestly a little scared of what else might be on that weird machine in his bedroom. Enthusiasts since the 80s and really the 90s have given many of these long-running number stations nicknames like, well, one of the most popular, I present to you the Lincolnshire Poacher. Thank <laughs> you. 
This was a powerful British shortwave number station that transmitted from Her Majesty's Government Communications Center in Gawcott near Buckinghamshire, England, and later from Cyprus from the mid-1960s to June 2008. The station gained its commonly known name as it uses bars from the English folk song The Lincolnshire Pulcher as an interval signal. The radio station was believed to be operated by the British Secret Intelligence Service. Amateur direction finding linked it with Royal Air Force Base at Arcatari, Cyprus, where several curtain antennas had been identified as being its transmitter. It consisted of a pre-recorded English-accented female voice reading groups of five numbers, example, 0, 2, 5, 8, 8. The final number in each group was spoken at a higher pitch. Zero, two, five, eight, eight. It is likely that the station was used to communicate to undercover agents operating in other countries to be decoded using, again, a one-time pad. Now, there was an Asian number station of identical format, and it's believed to have been broadcast from, actually, Australia. Its nickname is Cherry Ripe. It uses several bars from the English folk song of the same name as its interval signal. Cherry Ripe ceased broadcasting in December 2009. Let's take a listen. the 27th of September 2006, amateur radio transmissions in the 30 megahertz band were affected by an SO6 named 
the Russian man, number station at 1740 UTC. In October 1990, it was reported that a number station had been interfering with communications on channel 6577 kHz. Now, this was a frequency used by air traffic controllers in the Caribbean. The interference was such that on at least one monitor transmission, it blocked the channel entirely and forced the air traffic controller to switch the pilot to an alternative frequency. A BBC frequency, number 7325 kHz, has also been used. Now, this prompted a letter to the BBC from a listener in Andorra. She wrote to the World Service Waveguide Program in 1983, complaining that her listening had been spoiled by a female voice reading out numbers in English. And she asked the announcer what this interference was. The BBC presenter laughed at the suggestion of spy activity. He had consulted the experts at the Bush House, which is the BBC World Service headquarters, who declared that the voice was reading out nothing more sinister than a snowfall figures for the hope of the ski slopes near the listener's home. After more research into this case, Shortwave enthusiasts are fairly certain that this was a number station broadcasting on a random frequency for spy activity. The Atencion station of Cuba became the world's first number station to be officially and publicly accused of transmitting to spies. It was the centerpiece of a United States federal court espionage trial following the arrest of the WASP network of Cuban spies in 1998. The U.S. prosecutors claimed the accused were writing down number codes received from Atencion using Sony handheld shortwave receivers and typing the numbers into laptop computers to decode spying instructions. The FBI testified that they had entered a spy's apartment in 1995 and copied the computer decryption program for the Attention numbers code, and they used it to decode Attention spy messages, which the prosecutors unveiled in court. In 2001, Ana Balon Montes, a senior U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency analyst, was arrested and charged with espionage. The federal prosecutors alleged that Montes was able to communicate with the Cuban intelligence doctorate through encoded messages, with instructions being received through encoded, encrypted shortwave transmissions from Cuba. In 2006, Carlos Alvarez and his wife Elsa were arrested and charged with espionage. The U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida stated that Quote, defendants would receive assignments via shortwave radio transmissions, unquote. Further in June 2009, the United States similarly charged Walter Kendall Myers with conspiracy to spy for Cuba 
and receiving and decoding messages broadcast from a number station operated by the Cuban Intelligence Directorate to further that conspiracy. As discovered by the FBI up to 2010, one way that Russian agents of the Illegals program, really that's the name, were receiving instructions was via coded messages on shortwave radio. And it has been reported that the United States has used number stations to communicate encoded information to persons in other countries. There are also claims that State Department operated stations such as KKN50 and KKN44 used to broadcast similar numbers messages or related traffic, although these radio stations have been off the air for many years. Now, let's take some time and take a listen to some of these more famous stations, shall we? By the way, there's a thing called the Conant Project, C-O-N-E-T, Conant, Conant, Conant. You can check it out on uh, on YouTube and get all your nerdery on these things if you want. C-O-N-E-T, a link will be in the show notes. They actually released five uh, five discs. Now, those are CDs, kids. And they redid re- re- a uh, whole set of them in April of 2013. And they are chock full of these recordings. Uh, Nerds Unite. Uh, some of these number station recordings have even been used in various art pieces like movies, like, you know, Vanilla Sky or albums like Wilco put into their one of their very first albums more than 20 years ago. All right. Let's take a listen to a few of these. The first one we want to talk about is called Swedish Rhapsody. Oh, yes. One of the most iconic and famous number stations. It started transmitting in the late 1950s over in Poland. It was used to send codes to allies on the Western Bloc. It's notorious for what was once believed to be that of a young girl speaking German, while it was only later revealed to be that of a special machine used by the East German State Security Service known as the Sprachmorse Generator. Accent's mine. It was first believed that Swedish Rhapsody No. 1 by Hugo Alvin was being used as the interval signal, but it was later claimed the melody was indeed Emil Orazdov's Luxembourg Polka. Let's go to war war over that one, shall we? This signal was strong. It was constant and rarely offered background mistakes and interruptions. Now, that's a big deal. This thing was very professional. Let me tell you, some of these, as you research, you got people like coughing in the background, you know, uh, because as we'll explain with a very popular one coming up, often these are uh, these are certain machines that are set up with an open mic. Just hanging out in a locked room somewhere in a gulag, maybe, over in Russia. But this one was good. This Nothing lame here. The messages were sent as number groups in five, spoken in German, which were preceded by the voice shouting, Achtung! Which is, of course, German for attention. The messages were to be decrypted using a one-time pad. Now, after the fall of communism in Poland and the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991... The original station ceased operations. However, between 1998 and 2007, the station could still be heard broadcasting, this time in the English language, likely for NATO agents in Eastern Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Swedish Rhapsody. 
The next station is very notorious. Uh, everyone knows this one if you're into this nerdery. It is UVB 76, aka The Buzzer. And for good reason. Broadcasted at a frequency of 4625 kilohertz, this mind numbing, annoying, and endlessly torturous transmission repeats at a rate of 25 tones per minute. 24 freaking hours a day, over and over and over and over and, well, here it is. The station transmits using AM with a suppressed lower sideband, which is USB modulation, but it has also used full double sideband AM A3E. Got it? Great. The signal consists of a buzzing sound that lasts 1.2 seconds, pausing for 1 to 1.3 seconds and repeating 21 to 34 times a minute. Until November 2010, the buzz tones lasted approximately 0.8 seconds each. One minute before the hour, the repeating tone was previously replaced by a continuous, uninterrupted, altering tone, which continued for one minute until the short repeating buzz resumed, although this stopped occurring in June 2010. Since the start of broadcasting, the buzzer broadcast has a repeating two-second pip changing to a buzzer in the late 1880s and early 1990s. It briefly changed to a higher tone of longer duration, approximately 20 tones per minute, on the 16th of January 2003, but has since reverted to the previous tone pattern. These buzzes have gotten longer in duration and deeper in pitch over time, and breakdowns have been more frequent suggesting the possibility of the buzzes being mechanically generated. Now, apart from it just being annoying, distant conversations and other background noises have frequently been heard behind the buzzer, so it's not very professional either, suggesting that the buzzing tones are not generated internally, but are transmitted from a physical device placed behind a live and constantly open microphone. Because of the occasional fluctuating pitch of the buzzing tones, it is supposed the tones are generated by what's called a tone wheel, and you can look that up if you want, as used in a Hammond organ. It's also possible that a microphone may have been turned on accidentally. On one such occasion was the 3rd of November, 2001, when a conversation in Russian was heard. In September 2010, several unusual broadcasts were observed. These included portions of the buzzer being replaced with extracts of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. On November 11, 2010, 
intermittent phone conversations were transmitted and were recorded by a listener at 1400 UTC for a period of approximately 30 minutes. These conversations are available online and seem to be in Russian. Now, the phone calls mention the brigade operative officer on duty and uh, the communication code's debut, Russian for Hope, which is a noun for a female name, Sudak, which is a town in Crimea, and Vulcan, which means volcano. The buzzing tone can also be heard fairly faintly in the background of these calls, further suggesting the buzzing is generated externally. And the female voice says, Officer of the duty station debut. I don't know what that is. Ensign Hubachika received a test call from Narakas. Understood over. <clears throat> Was that, uh, like, you want to hear my, you want to hear my, uh, medieval wench voice? Are you a Valerian highborn? Oh, gosh. Shortwave radio stations technically need to be licensed, and the hams, which are the nerds that use the ham radios all across the world, are called. They use them. They need to be licensed as well. This is how you keep channels open and designated for civilian use. This is how you keep the law of the land. So why does the buzzer constantly, well, buzz? To hog frequency, of course. With that much Russian buzzing going on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, year after year, well, no one can ever use the channel. That way it's always available when they need it. That thing might buzz for 12 months straight with nothing else going on and then out of nowhere, you guessed it, numbers. Or distinct conversations, or indistinct, depending on the day, or as caught out of nowhere, one night after months of buzzing, I present to you the UVB-76's buzzer with a woman screaming in the background. Now, some have even claimed with a theory that the buzzer is being used as what's called a dead hand signal station broadcasts a constant tone interrupted every few seconds by a foghorn-like sound and occasionally by a Russian voice issuing messages such as Ya UVB 76 Ya UVB 76 180 08 Bromel 74 27 99 14 Boris Roman Olga Mikhail Anna Larissa 74279914 Now the dead hand theory Sorry about that. Uh, suggests that, well, you really have to worry about when the signal finally stops. If that's correct, the monotone signal, and there's some type of, you know, it keeps going, it means that it's, well, everything's okay. But should it ever cease, that means that an automatic nuclear response would have to be triggered. Now, around 2010, conversations were heard more and more frequently until one day they just stopped. Everything stopped. The buzzing, the mistakes, and you may have noticed that a nuclear apocalypse did not follow thereafter. 
Though the silence was short-lived, the station had been moved from the remote Russian village of Parofavo to another location, much more difficult to triangulate by ham sleuth nerds. Now, this gave a few brave investigators an opportunity to look around the station. You know, you had no shortage of these uh, Russian teenagers, you know, going out into the whacked-out forests around Chernobyl or whatever and filming the ruins that they see there. I've been on that YouTube dumpster fire of horror. Well, one Russian explorer found a military logbook that appeared to confirm the station had been broadcasting messages from the Russian state, while others captured some fairly creepy images, I'm sure, of a dilapidated and run-down military base that looks like it could have been abandoned way back in the Cold War era. After going into the base, they were forced to turn back, and this is his quote. We sort of went underground, under one of the buildings. As we descended into the basement of one of the buildings and ventured to a door that led outside of the area of the building, when we opened it, we were hit by a very vile chemical smell. It smelled very acidic, I guess. This is what the explorers wrote on the site Reddit in the AMA subreddit, which is Ask Me Anything. Not Oh, here's a great quote. Not prepared to die of poisoning, we turn back. In the room that was underground, the building itself, there was not much of interest. A few desks and filing cabinets. Again, this is where the buzzer had been going from from all those years. A few desks and filing cabinets filled with more useless papers. A few broken electronics and a bunch of other general crap. Unquote. <clears throat> uh, thanks for the descriptive uh, help here. We, we found a bunch of crap. Thank you. Let's move on. Next up, we have frequency 5448 kilohertz by day. And check this out. Oh, it switches to 3756 kilohertz by night. I know. This little bouncer is known as the PIP. It broadcasts short, repeated beeps at a rate of around 50 per minute or 24 hours a day. The beep signal is occasionally interrupted by voice messages in Russian. The PIP has been active since around 1985 when its distinctive beeping sound was first recorded by listeners and is a sister station to the buzzer. Let's take a listen to the pip. Now, the purpose of the PIP is not known, although there are, of course, many hypotheses online. It's often suggested that the PIP is part of a larger radio relay or control system, which also includes its brother station, the buzzer, and another called the squeaky wheel, 
which both follow similar annoying formats. In particular, activity on the PIP often used to be followed by a few minutes later by a voice message on the squeaky wheel, suggesting that both are being operated by the same organization and share the same purpose. It gets more complicated. On one occasion, the PIP's characteristic beeping sound could be heard in the background while a message was being transmitted on the squeaky wheel's frequency, which may indicate that both stations are even operated from within the same building and quite possibly within the same room. However, these activities have since ceased. Now, just because a number station is broadcast in a particular language doesn't mean it's coming from that country at all. Sometimes the sponsor of a station is not as self-evident as one might think. For instance, not all Russian stations transmit in Russian. Sometimes they transmit in English or Spanish. Polish stations transmit in English and Russian. Usually these attributions have been made by signal triangulation and measurements of signal strength and directions. But in my research, I also read of uh, a German uh, number station presumed for years with this German iconic voice talking out all these uh, various instructions. But it turns out in the end, it was France's station using German, so everyone thought they were German, chasing the wrong codes, while their French operatives were using that German to work for the French. Clear as mud? Now, enough of me just to tickle your fancy here. Here are a few random number stations for your listening pleasure. Seven, three, one. Seven, three, one. Delta, 
4, 3, 4, 2, 0, Now I know what you're probably wondering. You're wondering, Kyle, how on earth would I possibly listen to this? I can't get a license. I can't put one of those crazy towers in my backyard. Well, you don't need a ham radio or a license just to listen for signals and broadcasts. Welcome to the internet age. There are some great ways to listen on the web, and I will link them in the show notes, including one, which is this gorgeous array of all these uh, sound layers just flowing up from the bottom of the graph to the top, and you can actually see where the signals are coming from. So go ahead. You can nerd out on that. Link in the show notes. So, how and why would these archaic forms of espionage still be used today? Well... I can give you some ideas of how they are being used. Cartels and Cuban drug runners are still using them for locations and drops and instructions. Well, that's a pretty lucrative business, wouldn't you say? Actually, at the time of recording this, it's also widely known that number stations are actually on the rise. Why? Because of the recent war in Ukraine. According to a CNN news source published in May 9th of 2020, the title is How Shortwave Radio is Resurfacing as a Tool in Ukraine. Washington, D.C., CTV Network. In a world of mobile phones, satellites, and the internet, some old-school technology is making a major comeback. The shortwave radio used by spies for decades to send encrypted messages is being resurrected for the war in Ukraine. According to Dr. Andrew Hammond, curator and historian at Washington, D.C.'s International Spy Museum, Really? The shortwave radio is a classic tool that was used for espionage. Quote, with a shortwave radio like this, you can transmit information over huge distances, unquote. Of course, we know that now because I've helped you. 
But now, decades later, shortwave is coming back into use. After Russia attacked communication towers in Ukraine, the BBC went old school, broadcasting their news service on the shortwave frequency to counter Russian propaganda about the war. Quote, the BBC is using it to transmit it because it's a lot harder to block these transmissions, John Fazzoli, a shortwave radio expert and author of the book The Worldwide Listening Guide, told CTV National News. It's an old technology, but it works. It's an old code, but it checks out. I don't remember how that quote went from Star Wars. Whatever. Used in a conflict zone, shortwave is less complicated than other communication avenues, and it travels further than TV or cell phones. Radio waves are electromagnetic signals that can be broadcast and for others to tune into, you know, to that station from anywhere as far as you can possibly imagine. All right, they go back into this uh, nerdery of talking about shortwave radio and how it's collected, but also how it's being used by both the Ukrainians and sent by the Americans. What? Welcome to 2000 and now 23, everybody. Fantastic. Now, I've stated often on Drilling Down, if you're just new here and you just wanted to check out number stations, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I've often stated that I believe the end times biblical war will be taking us back to the stone age of living. I think especially as those end times progress. I believe electricity will pretty much be gone over the vast portions of the earth, and I believe this because of what's projected in much Bible prophecy, but I won't get into that right now. Perhaps this eerie, despondent, Jurassic-era form of communication will be your only hope one day. Make no mistake, number stations aren't going away. They're just changing how they operate. They're getting smarter. They now give out what are called data bursts, and that is, at an appointed time, only able to be downloaded by the intended individual with the properly coded device, now a number station can send the recipient over that short burst of not words, not long encryptions, just a burst of data. They can send the recipient photos, spoken messages, precise GPS coordinates, and tasks instantly grabbed out of the air by the other party's encrypted cell phone, encrypted laptop, encrypted tablet, what have you. That's amazing. As man progresses, sometimes the earliest ideas are the ones that last the longest. Thank you for listening to Drilling Down.